Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Uh, so happy to be here, Stephen. It's just a thrilling <laughs> time. Honestly, for real, uh, Next Gen has been really fun so far. I've been having a good time. We talked a lot yeah. about it last week, but I'm, I'm, we're going to talk about it more later. But uh, I'm really enjoying some like some of the weird like kind of edge casey shit. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, you and I played Ghost of Tsushima's <coughs> multiplayer mode uh, yesterday. I was on PS5 and you were on PS4, and it worked like pretty much flawlessly, which was pretty yeah, cool. Um, that was cool. Yeah, we're in it. We're fully in it now. We're doing we're doing everything possible. And also, I just saw a tweet yesterday. Somebody posted this in the Discord. I forget who it was. Um, thank you to whoever did that. Somebody just posted a tweet yesterday that in developer mode on the Xbox Series S, they were able to get Metroid Prime running, uh, which means like maybe there's a way to get emulators running on the Xbox Series S. And anyone, I think, can turn developer mode on, which means that that's just like a possibility that we might have to prepare ourselves for, which I think <laughs> was like a goof you made like two or three days ago <laughs> uh, when we were talking on the phone. You were like, in the weird world in which I can play Nintendo games on the Xbox, it's the perfect system. I think that might be a possibility soon. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, even more officially, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Nintendo and Microsoft like continue to develop their kinship. Like them putting Ori on the Switch, I think was a very big... I don't want to say olive branch, but it was like a big like, here, you can have this. I wouldn't be surprised if they do something. I think it's Microsoft to Nintendo. I I don't think we'll ever see Nintendo to Microsoft. <laughs> right. Literally I mean, it's never. A, it's yeah. a, I think they want that to happen is what I'm trying to say. Yes. I, yeah. But it might have to resort to hacking to get it to happen. Yeah. Um, but I but do yeah. think, I mean, I'm looking I'm looking at the Series S right now. It's a beautiful thing. It, it It's a wonderful totem. It's the opposite of the thing from, uh, what is it? A Space Odyssey. <laughs> It's like a, lo- a lawful good monolith. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the idea that this thing could become also the best emulator box I own would be wild, considering I literally like bought an emulator box. Uh, yeah. So that'd be sick. I, I really am looking forward to if if that happens. Um, that is, I think, very legal. So just, I guess, a heads up. Uh, I'm not actually doing it. Wink, wink. Uh, but I am excited <laughs> about the possibility of doing it. Totally. I mean, I think it's cool that we're already enjoying the new systems now because this is like going to be the worst part of this generation. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, totally. This is when shit sucks. And there's like, I keep forgetting <laughs> that there's like gonna be games coming out for the Series S because like in my sort of realm of interests and, and you know, not having the ability to play Game Pass prior, like I'm already very happy with my purchase. And yeah. I'm like, oh shit, but there's like gonna be new stuff for this too. I'm not just gonna be playing Final Fantasy 13 1 on my <laughs> new system. Uh, so I'm excited for that. I think the first like Microsoft exclusive game, uh, The Medium comes out in January. So it's yeah. kind of exciting. Yeah. We'll see how that is. I'm very like the biggest thing that will take the series s from like good to great for me or great to like amazing is is i don't want to like shape it up to be like sony's strategy with like getting good exclusives but i would love to see how microsoft's acquisition of all those studios pays off like i want to see what they end up doing because i think right now there's this inescapable aura of like cheeto dust and mountain dew energy that like you say xbox and that's the first thing you feel totally and i feel like that isn't like yes gear and Halo are like the flagship exclusive series, but I think that there's a lot of other stuff that that Microsoft and Xbox are trying to invest in. And I'm not like defending 
them as like better or or whatever but i just i'm curious to see how the more kind of like art house indie stuff plays out because like yeah because sony has such a very specific like vibe right they have have a very specific like auteur vibe for their first party stuff right Um, which i mean microsoft can do literally whatever they want you know like they they could establish their own auteur vibe if they want to but they could also just say okay well if that's the lane that sony's playing and then we're just going to do literally everything else um and it seems like they've purchased such like a wide range of studios with uh, such a wide range of vibes that like that's cool for me like i i'm not as excited as i am about like whatever xbox studios exclusives come out i'm way more into just seeing how game pass gets like built out in the future oh yeah for sure like that to me is still the killer app and like it's cool that all the xbox studio stuff is going to show up there but like if they make another ea play size deal with somebody else at some point like we could just have you know a hundred other games from somebody else i just started playing jedi fallen order again yeah because why not you know like that that was just like a why not situation i never finished it on the ps4 i just downloaded it again on the series s and i started from the top and it actually runs way better on the series s than it did on my playstation 4 pro which is pretty sick yeah i mean it's, it's a why not situation and i feel like that's the case with a lot of Game Pass games. You just started streaming Dragon Age Origins uh, the other oh, day. Yeah, yeah. And I watched it for like five minutes and I was like, oh man, I really want to buy this. And then I remember this part <laughs> of EA Play and I just downloaded it. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, all three Dragon Age games are on there. Yeah. That, I mean, and that's kind of what I was getting at where like I'm already content with the Game Pass side. And like I think that's always going to be the best thing about it. Yeah. But the giant question mark is the exclusives. Like if those are interesting enough to like complement the already good deal of Game Pass, this could be like a really yeah like incredible experience yeah um which it already is and truly i think i think you're like so right about like yeah halo and gears of war have been the big microsoft exclusives but like i'm way more interested in seeing like what bethesda comes up with next or something you know or arcane or whatever right or even like double fine and obsidian and like yeah. you know i mean i i think again i think back to the early 2010s um <laughs> i was in college and dead mouse was popular uh, but yeah <laughs> Uh, I <laughs> I think about like their investment in the Xbox Arcade and at that time that was mm-hmm. like brand new you know like that was really I, I think there's always been a bigger indie scene obviously like on PC and on Steam and like indie games go back to like kind of forum days you know going back to like Yumi Nikki stuff where someone just posts a link with nothing else and you yeah. find this weird experience but them creating a platform for games like Bastion uh limbo you know that those like really hd baby Spunky hd like all those really early games that kind of like made the term indie game a household name and i'm also not trying to separate AAA from indie games i think they're all in the same medium but i do think like it was cool to see a giant company give a spotlight to that you know the same way like ea for 10 minutes uh invested a lot of money i forgot what it was (laughs) called but they had like a business strategy in the early 2010s where they were like okay our usual lineup isn't doing as well um we want to invest in i think there's actually i think it's game makers toolkit it's all about dead space as like an example of this but Mm. like dead space i think mass effect and uh maybe even dragon age came out around the time where ea was like let's just give a bunch of money to people's passion projects and see what happens yeah and like that was their best lineup of games but a lot of them didn't make like as much money as ea wants because they're evil and then they went back (laughs) to like fifa 8 you know yeah (laughs) but it's just like i think 
we're unfortunately in a system where sometimes you need like a corporate backing to get the attention that like is required to do well as a game. And every now and then there's a miracle like Undertale where you just put it out and everyone falls in love with it immediately. But like, and I hope we can move away from that. I hope it's not dependent on money or corporate spotlight. I'm not saying that should happen, but I think like where we are right now, it's all in all a good thing that indie games get more attention. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I think a, a big like missing link still in pretty much every video game store that exists and I'm, I'm including the like ios app store in here as well it's just discoverability you know yeah there are a ton of games that are probably that are on the nintendo switch that are probably incredible that just like not enough people have played and not enough people have talked about you know and and that's just because like people don't know they exist but if you yeah. look at the recent releases section of the nintendo switch eShop, there's like 10 new games there literally every single day you know, but most people are just going to bestsellers, you know, or what's featured yeah. and like they're just checking out that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's something that you and I talked about in literally our first episode of the year this year or sorry, this season specifically uh, was just talking about, you know, a bunch of things that we found on like Itch.io in that big bundle um, yeah. and and trying to find new stuff that's a little bit outside of the realm of what we'd normally check out. And that's difficult to do. Like you really have to put effort into doing that. And I, I would love oh, yeah. to see more innovation on the side of like just making that an easier process, I think, which totally. is like on one hand, that's been like a common complaint with like Spotify and music streaming services in general for a really long time is like okay how 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 do you find new music and it's like well you got to put some effort into it you could just go to discover weekly and that's cool and like that's great you will find new songs that you like probably in discover weekly but like if you click on related artists to an artist you already like you'll probably find new stuff and it's just interesting that there's not as much effort in that on like the platform holder side for like microsoft and sony and nintendo because it behooves them to show me more things that i could purchase on their digital stores that actually is better for them (laughs) if they put more effort into that Um, i think you're starting to see that with game pass again and like i'm also amazed at this like we we mentioned this last episode but like I can fell is on Game Pass, Celeste is on Game Pass. Yeah. Like there are a lot of really great indie games that are getting the attention they deserve. And I think it is easier to discover stuff on Game Pass. You know? Mm-hmm. Like there's so much stuff on Switch that you like have to really set like an hour aside to like do the research and find out what you like. Same with Itchio. Like yeah. we spent like a couple days like planning for that episode to like download the games that looked interesting and also check them out, you know? Yeah. And like download them and like I think Game Pass is definitely a step in the right direction in terms of discoverability and like uh, just, you know, letting games kind of find an audience more easily. Yeah. Uh, you might see I can fill and be like, oh, that looks cool. I'll check it out. And you'll immediately fall in love because it's a great game. Uh, <laughs> but like you might not have done that if it was like on Switch for, for 20 bucks. Right. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I think, I think it's all in all a good thing. On the Xbox side, I will say it is the first time I have been on like a digital store and I've seen a section that's like, because you purchased this, yeah, we think you'll yeah. like this, which is like such a no-brainer thing but it was also like all the way at the bottom of the game section you know Um, right but like i did find some stuff that i was considering because that list existed you know some things i didn't know were available on xbox that are that i was considering so yeah i don't know i think that's like kind of the biggest missing link it's like that and like not seeing ads for things i bought already those are my two big gripes (laughs) like i (laughs) I hate when i buy the quip toothbrush because i've seen relentless ads for quip toothbrushes and now i'm still seeing ads for quip toothbrushes even though i have one and i like it this episode is not sponsored by quip toothbrush they also sponsor (laughs) ben shapiro's fucking podcast Uh, (laughs) i i say don't buy a quip toothbrush even though i like mine a lot yeah, that's a good stance to have, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's the my pillow guy of toothbrushes. 
<laughs> so I, I blinked. I don't even know how we got to quip. <laughs> this is the first time where you take in a step and I'm like, wait a minute, I lost you. I don't know where we do are. Do you want to take a break, do a little quick reset and then talk about Ghost of Tsushima? <laughs> Should we do that? Uh, Sure. Okay. Take, I, play, I'm fine to keep going. Yeah, Play, let's, play let's the break that. noise, AJ. Let's get out of this quip hill. <laughs> Sucker punch, literally. Uh, that's right. We're back and we're talking about... Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I really did. Thank oh, you. I'm glad. Yeah, of course. Um, Ghost of Tsushima, the swan song of the PS4 Sony uh, exclusives. Kind of interesting that we opened this episode with like what Xbox is doing, and now we're kind of back to Sony. And I, so we actually talked about this game a while ago. You got it like shortly after it came out, and I was planning on getting it, but I was kind of waiting for it to go on sale. Honestly, like. On a surface level, I wasn't sure how much I was going to like it because it seemed like it, it seemed like people were into it, but it also seemed like there was this very constant like point that was being made at like, oh, this is like a game you've already played before. Yeah. Like it's a very kind of like by the numbers open world game. So it, it looked interesting enough and it looked beautiful enough. Like the aesthetic of this game, which we'll get more into, was really appealing. So I had it on my list of stuff to check out as the year is winding down and as we're preparing for our Godi episode, which like of all the seasons we've done this show, this this Godi episode requires the most preparation because there's just so much shit. Like it's I think you and I have basically played every game we wanted to. Like every game like we wanted to check out this year, we have played. Yeah. So like uh you can do the math by looking at what we've covered. To make a list of ten games this season is really rough. I think there's this also like constant vibe from people that like not a lot of games came out this year, which is a Mandela effect like Bernstein Bear scenario. Because <laughs> I think what happened is anything that ha- that came out three months ago feels like it came out three years ago. Yeah. So everyone's like, well, yeah, only two games come out because this year has been three months you know like yeah yeah i've been thinking about final fantasy 7 remake for example a game that i am like sure in my heart of hearts came out last year but is very much (laughs) a 2020 video game that just came out like in the spring right and And anything that came out before (laughs) september was basically like 2019 and a half you know Mm mm-hmm but yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff, and and I had I had a number of games that I like. I'm like, okay, I want to check these games out before the year is over because I think I might like them enough that it could change up my list. So yeah. sure enough, uh, Ghost of Tsushima on sale, kind of one of those games acting as a bridge between PS4 and PS5 at this point, which I could see being the norm for like another year. Honestly, like I feel like very few games are going to come out in the next year for PS5 that are just PS5, like mm. other than maybe the ones that have been like you know announced like at the sony direct like ratchet clank and stuff like that will be just ps5 but i feel like there's still a lot of games for ps4 that we're waiting on that will come out for both anyway yeah uh ghost of tsushima on sale 40 dollars. i'm like that's a steal baby i'm gonna get it and i love this game a lot i'm so surprised <laughs> i really like i didn't think i would dislike it but i i thought i would like play it for a few hours like kind of get a sense of how i felt and then be able to talk about it and then move on did not expect to play it until two in the morning and then like beg you to play co-op with me which we'll get into yeah i think it's great i definitely can understand the sentiment that this is like not a very innovative game but in the lens of this is like the last first party game for ps4 it does feel like kind of this like slideshow of like what did this generation do well and how can we put it in one game and like absolutely make it feel seamless like, you know, there's obviously a lot of Assassin's Creed energy here. There's a ton of 
I would say Breath of the Wild. I think apart from the Eastern setting, even there's like the aesthetic and the use of color to like kind of guide you and like Mm -hmm. the quieter moments like remind me a lot of Breath of the Wild. Weirdly, there's like Witcher 3 with like the investigation stuff and sometimes like the dialogue choices. And I think also just like a ton of, of Uncharted and Skyrim as well. And I think, like, allowing you to navigate the mountains and, like, the vertical parts of the map with Uncharted instead of, like, a Breath of the Wild, you can climb anything. Like, they're giving you, like, a little bit more direction with, okay, if you see the Uncharted, like, white kind of, like, etching on a rock, you can climb it. Right. Um, Yeah, I think, like, the service level, I think it's really, like, least intellectual take possible, but, like, what I'm getting (laughs) the most from the game, it's really fucking fun. Like, it's really fun. Yeah. Uh, And it's something that, like, goes without saying a lot of times, but I just feel like I haven't played a game in a while whose primary mission was just to have a good time, you know? And I feel like (laughs) that's what I'm getting from this game. We're touching on briefly, I think, and we'll talk about this probably more with the story. I think, like, the other kind of big hang-up with this game and what we discussed in our our earlier episode about it is sort of like, you know, this is made by a team of Western developers largely kind of making an homage to Kurosawa. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like every... I've read a lot of articles about like the depiction of the samurai and what that actually means in different cultures. And all, all... Everyone pretty much agrees that the intentions here were literally just to like make an homage to Kurosawa. But I think when you're primary influence is like a someone else's piece of art you kind of limit yourself to what they're taking in when they created something right so like i think that this game is definitely more interested in the aesthetic and in the mechanics i do think there's an interesting story happening here but i think that without a deeper understanding of some of the more nuanced elements of japanese history and the samurai themselves i think sometimes inadvertently plays into different narratives right Um, yeah it like trips and falls into something that it doesn't want to be just because it doesn't seem to be acknowledging it at all i actually one of the big missing links here i think just in terms of our discussions about next gen in general is uh, assassin's creed valhalla which is Mm. you know like one of the new big launch titles it runs pretty well on the new systems apparently um you know for it seems like the next step for assassin's creed like they had origins and they had odyssey and that was them trying a new thing and then valhalla is like oh shit we got it right and this is going to be the new blueprint a lot of really positive stuff being said about valhalla i'm not playing it because i just feel like i can't support ubisoft anymore after all the shit that has happened um but all of that said it it seems like the one that i would probably want to play the most uh the thing that like really put me off it i was considering like oh i'll buy it secondhand so i'm not like directly supporting ubisoft at least like i'll buy it secondhand eventually Um, yeah but the thing that really put me off of it was an article i just read recently i if i can find it i'll put it in the show notes but it was essentially just talking about how like while the game is is cool and good mechanically and is fun and is like a good assassin's creed game just by uh by trying to like idolize the Viking culture and the Viking myth, essentially um, what it's accidentally doing is like, is kind of like washing away all the like really horrific shit that happened. Like there part of the part of the mechanic of that game is like you go on raids of like settlements you know and like burn down churches and stuff but the more like horrifying side of it that they don't even acknowledge and don't even talk about is like all of the slavery that was happening at that time like yeah rampant slavery during the viking age and just completely not mentioned at all which is like a huge omission that accidentally plays into like weird neo-nazi shit you know right um, right, right and and i i think that ghost of tsushima kind of suffers from that a little bit not as 
horrifically no, as, as Assassin's no. Creed does. But it, it is weird that this game, which is like, I would say Ghost of Tsushima is maybe the best Assassin's Creed game ever made, which is very <laughs> upsetting to Ubisoft probably. Um, yeah. But it's just interesting that those two games are both like in trying to create such a, a beautiful vision of a specific time and place and like group is accidentally kind of getting the tone wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, another another article I'll probably or want us to include in the show notes is the Polygon article that's all about like curse like the the writer really knows Kurosawa probably better than like Sucker Punch does and like kind of explores like what samurai represent today in like modern Japanese culture. The best pair like I think of for like a Western reflection is like if someone was like I want to make a game that is a direct homage to Sergio Leone and like all about cowboys and like <laughs> right. the cowboy character was like I don't need the government to me what to do and like yeah. just kind of got it wrong a little bit and ended up kind of playing into a certain like kind of nationalist message that being said i think like that is clearly not what ghost of tsushima is doing and i think like basically just for some context so ghost of tsushima is about this this island of of tsushima that is taken over by uh the mongolian army and like a lot of the game is you as like basically like one of the sole survivors of this horrific battle one of the last samurai kind of going around and like giving people hope and like saving people and yeah. all that and you are saved by a kind of thief with a heart of gold named yuna and yuna and Jin kind of represent like both the two styles of gameplay and the two kind of philosophies of the game where Jin, you can see is his uncle kind of teaches him like is it bushido the bushido code mm-hmm. Jin is is brought up in this kind of like strict environment where he's told from a very young age like you have to follow the bushido code uh you have to show your enemies that like you fight with honor you face them head on anything less than that is is cowardice and yuna is like whatever works man like yeah. you know like yuna we're just wants a... to survive because yeah yeah the island is being invaded and people are getting killed right and and i think there are moments early on where yuna and Jin are like you know near a mongolian like fort and there are prisoners there and Jin's like i'm gonna show up by the door and say like come fight me you yeah. know with honor and yuna's like if you do that they're gonna kill all the prisoners so like why don't we sneak in, like kill who we have to and, and move on? And I think I think that at least right now in the story, I think Yuna's presence and Jin constantly kind of grappling and like exhibiting human emotions about like both sides of that philosophy is what kind of prevents the game from being too like almost jingoistic with its Bushido code. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like the fact that both takes are right and wrong at the same time prevents this game from being too like i am the knight in shining armor and and because i'm a because of my class status i will save you you know like it doesn't exactly it doesn't play into that exactly and i think you know the fact that Jin is also told like you know control your emotions and he's like clearly like a very kind guy (laughs) and he's like constantly like you know emoting in various ways but saying he has to control i think that's kind of what carries the game honestly is like Jin being a very human protagonist i actually like him quite a bit i was surprised too like how much i empathize with him right away which helps that you play like in moments of his childhood and you see what his upbringing was and it makes sense like it makes sense that his character would want to follow this and he would see being stealthy and and slitting throats as like kind of a betrayal of his upbringing bringing yeah but i think the game isn't necessarily like saying that you know class systems are correct and that if you're of noble class you are inherently better like that's right. not what the game is saying no yeah not at all yeah i yeah. I, I think you know 
the fact that you are pretty much the only one left for a large majority of the game, at least, I think, kind of speaks to that a little bit. Just the fact that all of the all of the people that you meet and all the people that you help and all the people who help you are yeah. not nobility, literally at no. all. They're just people chilling in their own farms and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think it kind of drives that point home a little bit. The thing that I kind of bump up against a little bit is, um, like, I don't know how you're playing the game, like the single player game specifically, but mechanically speaking, I actually haven't found too much of an incentive to play the, like, assassin ghost route. Ooh. I've been, like, really just playing, like, with the honor code, not even because, like, I'm role playing in any capacity at all, but... I just like the combat and I like the the like I like the uh, freneticism of fighting like five guys simultaneously so much that at every single opportunity I do standoff mode, which is like you press a <laughs> button and Jin goes, hey, hey, asshole, come here. I'm going to fucking hit you with a sword in the head. And then you yeah. have like this incredible kind of uh, standoff situation where it's like you and one person, you have to hold down triangle, you have to let go of triangle when they like come to slice at you and then you slice them back. You can upgrade that ability to allow you to like get more than one guy during standoff mode and then everyone else who's in the camp or everyone else who is an enemy around you will all charge at you at once and i love that i am yeah. such a fan i have up i've unlocked all the different stances um you have different combat stances depending on if you're fighting a guy with a shield or a spear or like a big fucking guy or a guy with a sword and i love alternating between the stances i love the like almost soulsy combat that feels a oh, little yeah. bit like looser and lighter and allows for a little bit more kind of like um just kind of a little bit more like player choice and player agency, I think, and how you're approaching situations. Totally. Um, so I always do standoff mode. I like rarely, rarely, rarely do any kind of sneaking or assassin shit. I just don't find it to be super compelling from a mechanic standpoint. But I have also heard from other podcasts I've listened to and other reviews I've read and things like that, that like that is probably not the way most people play the game. And yeah, based I... on your face, that doesn't seem to be the way you're playing this game. <laughs> Well, so I think you're right in that, like, the the active kind of samurai combat is a lot of fun. And I think it is, like, a really nice balance between, like, it's, like, halfway between, like, an Arkham power fantasy mm-hmm. and, like, a very crushing uh, Sekiro or, or Souls game difficulty. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a tough game. You, you definitely have to, like, learn the language of the game. The game, though, definitely sets you up to succeed, where they're like, okay, this stance is good against enemies with shields, or right. this stance is good against, you know, enemies with spears. Um, and eventually it becomes kind of second nature in a way yeah. almost akin to uh, Marvel Spider-Man as well, another uh, first party where like the beginning of that game like is really tough. Like when you're in Kingpin's hideout, like oh, yeah. I, I died like 10 times in a row. It took me like an hour to beat that. But then... <laughs> After that, I I breeze through it, and it's a similar thing where like it's like, okay, these moves are good against like bigger enemies. These moves are good against like these enemies, and eventually it just flows, and you like you feel like you're getting better in a way that is more inviting and accessible than like a Sekiro or or, or whatnot. Yeah, which I, I'll bring up Sekiro again later in terms of like the depiction of samurai and the code and all that. Because I think it's interesting to compare the two with with that approach in terms of style of play. I do standoff mode pretty much when I'm like on horseback and I run into a group of, mm-hmm. of Mongols like on the way. Yeah, um, that just feels right. You know, like I'm on my horse, which you can name. You can choose your horse and name your horse. Uh, named my horse Sora. You choose like. 
three names. I've got the white horse named Sora. And uh, I'll do standoff mode out in the open. But when I'm going to a fort, I am full stealth. I think it's Interesting. a lot of fun. I love the bow. I love using the tools of the smoke bomb and the, the assassinations. Mm. It's worth noting I have not played like any Assassin's Creed game, like except for maybe the first one. So yeah. that side of it probably feels a lot fresher to me than maybe it would to someone who's more familiar with that type of game. But I think why I like the stealth is because, and this is very similar to Horizon Zero Dawn, when you get caught, that's when it feels the best. Totally. Like, yeah. you know, when you get caught and you have to suddenly shift your whole mindset to like fighting in real time, it, it feels as exhilarating as it did in, in Horizon Zero Dawn where like you're setting traps and something, okay, that didn't work. My plan is foiled. I have to just roll with the punches now. And that's where the game feels very cinematic, even more so than in the standoff moments, which are like clearly right out of a Kurosawa film. Like yeah. when you're organically dealing with the threat of enemies, I, I find that that is where the game is most compelling mechanically. And then of course, you know, you get these handful of like big one-on-one duels that are like right out of Sekiro yeah. and like just amazing. Really tough Did you do the and lightning really one? fun. I did, yeah. It was, it was, it was very uh, fun, and that's where like you can tell this is like a a, a take on Kurosawa. <laughs> it's yeah. like so much bigger than like that would you know his his movies are a little bit more subtle than, than yeah. You know, there, there's lightning. one just that I'm alluding to where you're fighting on a mountaintop and like lightning strikes a tree behind you and the guy that oh, you're fighting. I didn't. I don't think I did that, but the one I did there was like a lot of cinematic like nature happening. I think it was raining. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, uh, so yeah, just mechanic, like the combat's great, but I also think that like just navigating the environment, like riding on horseback, and, and it's worth noting again, like you'll see screenshots of this game, you'll be like, oh, that's really pretty, but like it is stunning when you're playing it. And yeah, I'm playing it on the regular is, PS4. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, all the reeds just kind of like blowing in the wind. The fact that, I mean, you talked about this as we were playing yesterday, but you can swipe up on the touchpad at any moment and the wind will blow in the direction of where your objective that's like highlighted on your map is yeah and the fact that you could just change that direction at any time and all of the reeds and all of the plant life and birds and stuff like everything in the world reacts to whatever way the wind is blowing just feels like a tech demo kind of situation (laughs) like it it feels like something you would see like at pixar where they're like look at this new technology we've developed but is in fact the video game it's like it's exactly like flower on the ps3 but blown up to a full open world game you know, like yeah. Flower worked because they were able to render all that stuff in real time in very small and enclosed spaces. And Sucker Punch has figured out a way to make the PS4 do that for a whole ass like Breath of the Wild Assassin's Creed size world. And I um, that's like the one my one gripe other than like we, we talked about the story and, and all that. And I, I think we've said like what we can say based on our experience with it. Um but mechanically, I kind of wish the game was more comfortable with quieter moments because I feel like some of my favorite moments in Breath of the Wild and in open world games, and this might just be me, but I love when there's just actually nothing happening but mm. the scenery. This game, like, you get those blissful, I'm just in nature moments, but there's always something calling out to you to do it, which like I've seen in reviews, like, you know, like there's always like, oh, there's a golden bird or oh, there's a fox who wants you to follow it. And it's like, just give me like a second to just like kind of... Yeah. Process this hero's journey a little bit. You I know? think the and further like, into the game you get, the more quiet moments you'll find. Cool. Um cool. because I, I 
got to a point so i don't know if i recommend playing this way but this is definitely how i played and i think i talked about yeah. it in, in the first episode maybe i hadn't gotten that far yet but i played through the entirety of the first island which is like the first act before moving on to the second act i had done every single side mission like i cleared out that entire map so whenever i'm yeah. in that area if i'm like visiting or if i'm like doing something else there is nothing it's completely serene now because i've done everything right but even even in the second area i still kind of feel that way i'm just kind of like wandering and taking a lot of pictures and just like hanging out yeah i just i just ride on horseback and like experience the vibe so i i haven't even mentioned this yet i've been playing this game a lot again recently specifically for the vibe specifically because of how serene it feels and and i love the moments where you kind of like ripped out of that for combat um like as you're just kind of riding your horse around and doing whatever you want like you'll find some enemies you know just hanging out somewhere and you can go fight them if you want to or just like ride right by them but i i've been really 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 enjoying getting back into this game as like a winding down kind of experience oh, especially yeah. it's in stark yeah. contrast to the other stuff i'm playing like yakuza which is like you know frenetic at all times and on purpose or like demon yeah. souls which has just been like a bash my head against a piece of cinder block nightmare at all times <laughs> um this game is like a yeah. great one to chill out to um i also do want to mention i had the ps5 issue where i had my external hard drive plugged in and it would just turn my ps5 off as i was playing games all the time which sucked uh hopefully they patched that <laughs> but um i have since unplugged my hard drive and the only ps4 game i've installed onto the ps5 hard drive is ghost of tsushima which also got a ps5 update so you can play uh in like high resolution with a high frame rate and it looks beautiful thank you yeah i um <laughs> you're welcome uh i i think what also really works for me with this game is that I can see maybe, like, I, I talked about quieter moments and all that. That being said, the irony of my complaint is that I love all the stuff that I can do. You know, I think what this game does well and what prevents it from feeling overwhelming with, like, how many quests there are and how many things you can do is that it's just constantly rewarding you for playing it, you yeah. know? That's something that I talked about a lot with Hades, where, like, and it's, like, the pinnacle example of rewarding you for playing it. Like, you can lose first area every time in Hades and still have a great time because you're gonna see more of the game. And I think the same goes with, with Ghost of Tsushima. I think, like, in the combat, you might run into scenarios where you might, like, have to try to take down a fort a few times. Like, there's always, like, eight more enemies than you think there are in a fort. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I there's something about this game, especially right now as winter approaches, and I feel, like, the cold grip of seasonal depression coming mm. up. I just feel like being in a world this beautiful uh, and, and being in a world where I can, like, kind of navigate it freely... Um, it's old hat, but I just feel like I I am gonna say I think time is gonna be very kind to this game. I think when people in like six years look back on the first party stuff on the PS4, I think more people are gonna seek out playing Ghost of Tsushima than games it's maybe pulling from. Yeah, I because I'm so with you. Yeah. It's just sort of like the most streamlined version of like a generation worth of AAA styles. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, um, I think without if, feeling if, dumbed down. Yeah. I think, I think if Assassin's Creed is any indication also, like the thing that actually makes me more nervous about Ghost of Tsushima is what its sequel could become, you know, because yeah. like Assassin's Creed, as they continue to iterate on that game and like tried to make sequels, Assassin's Creed 2, like famously is extremely better than Assassin's Creed 1. But Assassin's Creed 1 laid a really interesting, I think, like, uh, foundation for what Assassin's Creed 2 became. But then you have, you know, the the non-numbered sequels to 2. You have 3 and 4 with Black Flag and, and, and introducing ship combat and pirate shit and, like, just... A, 
it got so big and so bombastic and they kind of like spun out of control to the point where they needed to like take a couple years off and then reframe the entirety <laughs> of that franchise to have Origins and then Odyssey and now Valhalla. I'm a little bit nervous that like we're seeing the beginning of like that exact same uh, like slippery slope potentially. Um, not to say that that's going to happen because Sucker Punch, I mean, they don't make games very frequently. Um, yeah. And I think when they it's do like make games, game. yeah, it's with like a lot of intentionality. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I'm hoping that they kind of take that restrained approach to making a sequel to this because I'm sure there's going to be a sequel to this because it, it, it yeah. did so well and continues to do so well and is so wonderful. I, I really hope they make a I, sequel. I hope there is a sequel. And I've been, I've been thinking that too, especially with like this sort of maybe like hit and miss elements of the plot you know because i think like yeah the characters are great and and I, and I like the dialogue as well and i think you're right that like the intentionality of of him being saved by like all kinds of people and needing their help i think is really what prevents it from feeling like you're you know samurai robocop you know yeah, yeah. but uh i think and and if 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 their past sequels are any indication, I found Infamous two to be like incredibly more interesting and yeah, thoughtful true. than Infamous one. Totally in terms of the narrative. So like I, I think that they really wanted this to be received well, like worldwide, and it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they'll listen to feedback hopefully, and like kind of maybe go in a more interesting direction with the story. And speaking of the story, I was thinking of Sekiro and like the code and all that, and it's so interesting because like there are, there are moments and. This is where I'm hoping the story doesn't slip is like, I mean, yeah, there's nothing honorable about slitting someone's throat, but I do find myself agreeing more with Yuna where she like tells Jen, like, bend your code if you can't break it. Cause like we're trying to survive and we can't, you know, yeah. fancy ourselves more important than what we need to do to help ourselves and help others. And in Sekiro, you play as a shinobi and the samurai in that game are depicted as kind of like stuck on autopilot. Like they're so tethered to tradition and to their own perceived glory that it literally makes them demons right um you know you yeah. have Genichiro. it is an actual commentary on right <laughs> on the bushido code yeah i mean yeah it is it is what i was hoping for from this game yeah yeah and and i think what's really fascinating about sekiro is that the big moral choice of that game without spoiling the big decision is when your dad shows up and you have to you can break the code break the iron code and do the right thing and stick up for kuro or you are beholden to it and you have to stick with your father who's a clear evil and that leads to the bad ending so like i think that it's really interesting to think about that game and how like that's from an eastern developer and there's like no glorifying code or samurai in that game but it's still using the aesthetic you know so it's an and i think that's the sort of stuff that's lost when like if your main inspiration is the films of a filmmaker it's sort of like you're gonna lose it's sort of you're gonna lose a little bit of what influenced that I think with with what you take inspiration from, it should always be kind of like a wide spread of things. Yeah. Because otherwise it might kind of come off as an imitation, which this game doesn't. I think like it does work and I think it works in ways that the game might not even be aware of. (laughs) And I hope that in a sequel, they pay attention to like what landed in this game and what's more interesting. Yeah. And what is sort of defying, I guess, like sort of more simplistic, stereotypical understanding of samurai and like kind of go in a direction. Because I think that all all the ingredients are here. You've got great characters. Characters. I really love the Straw Hat Clan, like Jin's old rival and buddy, who like is just trying to get food and used to be a samurai, but now he's a Ronin, and like there's a whole you know class structure with that. But mm-hmm. they're like kind of reflections of each other in a way. Yeah. Um, oh man, yeah. I'm excited for you to see more of them. Yeah, that that's easily my favorite. Like 
you meet a bunch of characters. So there's like an archer who's trying to find his old student who's kind of gone astray. Uh, there's a, a woman who's seeking revenge for her family. Her clan was like wiped out. And then there's the Straw Hat clan who are like just so cool. Like it's just like there are moments in this game where it's like, fuck, this is just so cool. Like I I am so swept up in it. Yeah. I am amazed how much I love this game. And that doesn't even like if, you, if you're okay to move on, we haven't even touched on co-op. Yeah. They added co-op. It's called uh, Legends. And it's a whole other mode where there's a lot going on with it honestly like in short this could have been its own game like this easily yeah could have been its own game and we would still be talking about it with the same fervor yeah it is fun in a way i think when we you and i were playing it we i said like this feels like we're at like a sleepover in middle school <laughs> and like this is the game we're gonna play until like three in the morning right yeah you like rented it from <laughs> your like local video store that has like eight games in a game section and yeah. Right. It, it's basically like a four four person uh co-op team in like a survival mode. So the main game is you're in like an arena that is kind of as detailed as the main game. It, it sort of resembles maybe a fort or an area around a fort. And there's like a lot of verticality, a lot of differences in the environment, and there are like key control points and waves of enemies come in and you have to defend them, which sounds like it sounds like okay, like I I've played this game before. Right. But like add the fact that you're using the combat from Ghost of Tsushima and and the fact that there are four classes that all focus on different things. So there's like the samurai, there's there's a hunter that uses a bow, there's a ronin, uh, back to the Straw Hat clan, which can summon ghost dogs and heal people. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, an assassin. And they all have like their own skill trees that focus on their abilities. But like it is so nuanced and like also open to play style, even in this sort of like co-op survival mode that it feels just as engaging mechanically as the main game yeah and not to mention like there is also a story mode that's narrated by the voice actor who plays iroh in avatar uh and he like tell the, the framing device is that like there's this storyteller that tells these like kind of folk tales of the island of Tsushima, and you're playing through those right so the story is like more sort of like mythical and fantastic than the yeah. main game that's, is. that's what i wanted to really hit on yeah. i think like as cool as it would be if they just like had this and it was almost like a copy paste of assets from the the main single player game into multiplayer mode the addition of like fucking demons and like uh like horrifying beasts kind of like brings this closer to a Sekiro in terms of yeah. in terms of like oh, aesthetic absolutely. and art direction i mean even when you're playing as the characters that you create they have these like kind of undead demon eyes like peering through whatever mask you're wearing. It it is it is a lot of like just for legends mode art assets that were developed. Um, it is a completely different vibe from the main game, and and I think it really hits home this idea that you were just about to touch on. I think, which is like these aren't things that actually happened this way. These are just stories that people have passed down for generations. These are battles that like may or may not have happened in exactly this way. You know, somebody saying like, "Oh yeah, me and these three guys fought off six hundred people by ourselves." Maybe it was like forty. You know. But yeah. <laughs> you in Legends mode are fighting 600 people by yourselves, yeah. you know, um, in, in the story mode, you and I just did a mission recently where there was like, you know, this like witch of the forest who was uh, essentially like mind controlling a bunch of dudes um, and, and uh, essentially making it so they felt like whenever they took a hit from a sword, they could get back up and keep fighting, you know, which like you can see how the idea of just like a very charismatic leader would 
kind of get warped into this idea that like, oh yeah, these guys don't go down unless you have unless you kill their leader first, which like creates a, just a very general game mechanic, which is like, oh yeah, kill the witch and then you can kill the guys. But like you can see how that story has been warped over hundreds of years of of folklore and like storytelling from generation to generation. It is brilliantly done. It is yeah. unbelievable. The fact that it's free, which I don't even think we've mentioned yet, is shocking um yeah as we said uh, you and i yesterday while we were playing it like it does seem like this is a thing that was in active development and maybe was supposed to launch with the main game like it's possible that it was supposed to launch with the main game but by never mentioning it in any of the like lead up marketing material for the original game uh by not mentioning it after the game launched until it was like done and ready and out they just kind of did a, an inverse of what I think a lot of games get wrong, a lot of like live service games, where like this could have been a single player game that had an announced multiplayer mode and people would be like, no, I just want the single player. This sucks. Like, don't yeah. focus any of your team assets on on making this like multiplayer mode nobody asked for um which is like a constant refrain and has been since like the ps2 ps3 era of, of since of, 2010 yeah, yeah. <laughs> with like with like the last of us and bioshock 2 and things yeah. like that where people are like i don't want a multiplayer mode then you get it and it's like oh wow this is actually great yeah um, famously i'm a mass effect 3 yes. uh, multiplayer apologist exactly. like you can play as a krogan sentinel what else do you want anyway uh continue. the fact that they didn't announce it until it was out and ready and like pretty far out from the main game dropping just meant that it was like an added bonus that people like so i think just from like a pure marketing perspective brilliant fucking yeah, move but like absolutely. in terms of ex- execution it is incredible like as you and i were playing it yesterday i just could not stop saying over and over again like what if this is the only game i play from now on <laughs> like you and i it's just had really a whole fun. bit about destiny 2 last week and now i'm like yeah fuck destiny 2 let me play legends mode constantly I, and it's weird too because it, it definitely is pulling from Destiny in some ways with like the equipment you get and like you know it's streamlined in that sort of like flowy way. Yeah, it even has the same leveling system. You know, like you're yeah. you're leveling up your character, <laughs> but you're also getting gear that has like a quote unquote Key light level. level attached to yeah. it. Um, and and it like averages out the the light level of all of your gear to give you your actual light level. Like it is exactly Destiny copy pasted over, but with the combat of Ghost of Tsushima with a bunch of like interesting skill trees that you can upgrade depending on what class you're picking. You can unlock and switch between classes at will with different gear for different classes. There's like just a ton, a ton, a ton of, of content to play through between the story mode and the survival modes. I could see like you putting, you know, 50 to 100 hours into this and then getting burned out and being like, ah, I wish there was more. But that's also a free multiplayer mode that got added after the fact, you know, that you didn't have to pay for and was just like a nice cherry on top of an incredible single player campaign. Yeah, it's it's real. And it's such a different vibe from the story, which is like kind of what we touched on with like the sort of like mystical quality to it, the sort of Sekiro like fantasy going on. Yeah, it's really fun. It's like so much fun. I can't believe how good it is. Like yeah, when they added co-op, I was like, oh, it could be fun. But like this, this should have been like a $30 add-on. Like I'm glad it isn't, but it feels like this should have been like yeah. as much as I paid for the core game. And and sorry know? to keep making the Assassin's Creed comparisons, but with Origins and Odyssey, it was a $30 like DLC pack that you downloaded <laughs> in Odyssey right. to go to Atlantis and like do a bunch of like mystical shit. And, and there was like, a I think, a 20 or $30 expansion for Origins that let you like go fight giant snakes, you know, and like mythical... Yeah 
Egyptian beasts and 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 folklore uh, like gods and stuff. Um, and and this game just included it for free. Yeah, and it's multiplayer. It's great, and it's multiplayer. <laughs> you can also wear some some items you get in the main game. So you can I think yeah. the, masks the masks that you unlock yeah. as Jin, you could wear. So I got like a cool wolf mask. What else? oh. This is what I was thinking, like, what am I forgetting? You also still have, so in, in the core game with the touchpad, if you swipe up, the wind blows in the direction you should go. If you swipe right, <laughs> right, right you right. kind of, like, pull out your sword in an intimidating way. If you swipe down, you bow, and if you swipe left, which you know I do, uh, which is also weirdly romantic. Tinder, oh, no, swipe left is rejecting. <laughs> when you swipe left, very you discerning. pull out a- <laughs> <laughs> You know I, I swipe left, baby. You know, you know I said, ew, gross, next. Oh, okay. <laughs> when you swipe left, you pull out a flute and play and like you and i without even saying anything constantly would play the flute together and in, in uh in co-op and, so and our, our poor other teammates also because <laughs> it was like the two of us and then we match made with two other people and and who carried we, us yeah who completely carried us between the 15 waves of enemies we had to fight which took like a full half an hour uh, yeah. And between every wave, Stephen and I were playing the flute. <laughs> the other people were like going and healing and getting new items <laughs> and like, and we're like spending Ooh. the currency that they had acquired to like get upgrades <laughs> for our team. And <laughs> Stephen and I are just up on a cliff or like a rock just playing the flute together. Yeah, I think we'll have to stream this. And it syncs up the flutes also. So it's like they're actually playing together, which is great. Yeah, it's like atonal. It's yeah. great. It feels like a middle school like choir concert where they all have recorders they all have recorders yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah um all that to say this game rules i am so blown away by it in ways that i did not expect highly recommend getting it honestly like if you're looking for a good open world game if you have like a desire to play a game like skyrim or like breath of the wild this is like in the same ballpark i would say yeah you know it's not pushing it's not pushing the you know skyrim breath of the wild kind of redefined the genre this game is not it is very comfortable just doing the genre very well and that's fine like yeah not every game is gonna redefine what we know yeah so yeah i think it's good yeah, it's it's really great. I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't yet. Yeah. Okay, you want to take a break and move on? That's my son. That's my son. That's my son. Yeah, let's take a break. See you soon. Hi, Steven. Hey. So the thing about Yakuza Like a Dragon is that <laughs> I have been playing a lot of it as well. Pretty much before I got Ghost of Tsushima, Yakuza was the first game in a while to make me play it until two in the morning. <laughs> I usually go to bed pretty early, honestly, and this is like the first time that I've been gripped. And almost for opposite reasons, I think like I am so in Yakuza for the story and for the weird side quest. I guess it shares that with Ghost of Tsushima. The side quests are great. Yeah. But like few games can flaunt their side quests like Yakuza can. Uh and that is like like there is a specific side quest I think I'll speak on behalf of that is basically half my playtime at this point. At one point in Yakuza, you, f- you meet a girl named Eri who is in charge of her family's business, but it's like recently been sabotaged by this shitty capitalist dude. Mm. So Ichiban's like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. And knowing nothing about business or anything, but ends <laughs> up walking to this like mom and pop shop with Eri, her grandmother, and their chicken that is their mascot, who, yes, is an employee in the minigame. Uh, but basically, awesome. it becomes this business management minigame where you have to hire employees that have different, like, uh, the, the skills are like charm, service, and notability. 
And in the beginning, you just have uh, the family business, which you can never sell. And there are three employee spots. So, like, it's, like, Aries' grandmother, the chicken, and, like, maybe one other person. And then, like, so you're kind of just seeing which employees you put in which business. And then you say, okay, we're ready to open. And then there's like this like track of like a 16 bit Ichiban next to the business and like running where there's profit. So it shows you like, okay, what's the red? What do you need to get to be in the green? And yeah, so that will be like one round of business. And then you have more money. You can hire more people. You can buy more businesses. It is so addicting and like a weird, almost idle game way, I yeah. would imagine. That's, I was just about to say, it, it sounds like they just like shoved an idle game into Yakuza, which I am really down for. I have yeah, not hit this it, yet. I you, you mentioned it like right after or like a day or two after we recorded last week. And I've been like binging the game to try and find it ever since. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, there's actually, I think there was a Polygon article about it, how like it kind of turns you into a capitalist weirdly. Mm-hmm. But... I think like it's just so goofy because like in one you have got like a chicken as an employee yeah uh and then like you hire other people and like you know like i hired like a luchador wrestler who was like a like ssr rank employee and like had amazing no uh, notability yeah and and you buy other businesses but like i found myself like really gripped by the strategy and really trying like you know you'll see like as you upgrade each business you'll see like what thresholds you have to hit to like kind of be in the green and like switching around which employees I had. And I actually got pretty far. The Polygon article talks about how they had to let a lot of people go. I got pretty far investing in my employees. That's one of the things you're ranked on. Like after a certain period, the shareholders, which is so funny, you go to like a shareholder meeting yeah, and it's Ichiban and airy and they like kind of look at each other like give themselves like a proud smile and he looks at the shareholders and does like a the rock eyebrow raise and like <laughs> then it turns into like an rpg battle where the shareholders will stand up and be like you're not making enough money and then like you choose like which of your employees are on like the panel with you and they'll say like we're doing the best we can or like we we're only been growing and it will like hit them and then they'll stay once you knock them out they'll sit down and start clapping and have like hearts above their heads oh my god um, that sounds awesome. It is so funny and it's so gripping and like nerve wracking. And like basically if you do well in those meetings, you will, uh, your share prices raise and then like the ranking of your business goes up. And I think you met Nick Ogata. He's sort of like this like kind of business dude who teaches you how to use your smartphone. Yeah. He's the one who invests in your business, but he gives you like, he's like, I'll give you 50 million yen. If by the end of this month, you're like in the top 100. Cool. And he's he's sort of like the, when the other businesses who are evil hear that Nick Ogata is backing you, they all like are shocked because he's like so powerful in that world. Mm. Um, it's, it's really fun. And basically, um, it, it ends up being kind of a heartwarming story because you really like Aerie and her family, even though it's like you're becoming this top corporation. Yeah. Uh, Have you like finished the business management Yeah, I'm stuff? done with it. I'm, so, the, I'm the number one business in the in the city. From what I understand, okay, okay, man. Yeah, I'm number one. I, I get yeah. it. I get it. Damn. Yeah. All right. Shit. I'm I'm a nobody. That's fine. Um, <laughs> uh huh. So uh, from what I understand, it's a really good way to get money in the game. Can you? Oh yeah. Do you not get money anymore when you're done with the business management game? Like, is that it? Or you can, can you continue go back and managing the company. Okay, yeah, cool. you can keep doing it. So like, it's a good way to rake in. I'm worth like 15 million yen at this point. Cool. Um, Great. And I saw there's an achievement where like, if you can get your company worth a billion yen, you like get like a nice. you know, Xbox uh, achievement gamer score. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, what's also cool is that Aerie joins your party early on. So oh, like, cool. uh, and she fights with office supplies like a ninja. And it's just like so amazing. That's like awesome. she 
throws thumbtacks as like caltrops and it just destroys an entire crowd oh i love that yeah it's really fun she's like the one kind of optional character from what i know but like i had she like immediately joined my party it's a really fun mini game and honestly the side quests overall i think are where the heart of this game is you know we talked a lot about the story and like how it sometimes misses the mark but like mostly with the side quests like there's a lot of heart and a lot of like really goofy humor that yeah that usually lands like there's one where this guy's like hey someone keeps peeing in the river can you stop them and ichiban's like of course i'm a hero i'll stop them from peeing in the river yeah and every day there are five guys by the river that all like you see them from the back and they all look like they're peeing so like you have to choose which one you like stop and like they're all doing everything except for peeing like one is playing the flute one is like watering a plant like it's so funny and then they all run away so, like, I don't even know if anyone is actually peeing at this point, because I've stopped all four of them. No, there is. There is a person who's peeing. Oh, yeah. there is? Okay. I have I caught I, them. That's so funny. But, yeah, it just, like, I think that, that that's where the world really feels alive is with the really goofy side quests. And that business management side quest is so addicting and fun. I, I highly yeah. recommend it. Yeah, I, I'm so excited to find it. Um, It just sounds great. Yakuza is so good, man. I mean, yeah. that game is, like, I played way more of it since last time we recorded me too and it just we were right before where it really opens up yeah like once it like really like in the beginning it feels like it's a yakuza game with like the lens of a jrpg and then when it like goes full dragon quest and there's like a dungeon you can just constantly explore below the city Mm -hmm. like the sewers um you got the business management game uh it's really good it's a lot of fun yeah Uh, yeah i just i just have like infinite side quests to do at this point which is (laughs) amazing it's exactly what i wanted i'm so stoked about it it's it's really good it just keeps getting better if if you're interested in this game at all like just take the chance on it it's awesome it's really good yeah Um, totally we just wanted to touch on like a dragon again because like literally what was it we record on sundays um like monday after we had recorded, like literally the next day, you and I were just texting each other nonstop about playing more Yakuza. <laughs> like, we got to talk about this game more. Um, yeah, so it's really good. Just an update. It gets better than we had even thought when we recorded last. It's also, I think, a fun, like, I'll always have a place in my heart for it as being like the first sort of de facto launch title for the Series S, you know? Yeah. Like, it's so weird that it's not launched for ps5 yet i i think that's yeah. so bizarre it's coming out in march for ps5 but it's already on ps4 right which is weird but yeah it's uh it's a lot of fun highly recommend yeah speaking of ps5 i want to talk a little bit about it um, Yeah, sure so i i guess like top level thing is uh the ps5 i've kind of warmed up to a little bit more since last week i think i was like in recording the episode last week i felt like i was being harsh to the ps5 which is weird because it's a box but um yeah i I wouldn't stop crying it wouldn't turn on because it was so embarrassed um no i i will say that even though i'm enjoying the console more than i thought i was last week like i do have most of the issues that i've seen reported like i already alluded to before when i had the external hard drive plugged in it would crash sometimes um i have like since figured out that the reason that it was playing ps4 games instead of ps5 games was that you have to like for a game like miles morales for example um you have to from the menu press the options button on the tile for the game and then select that it starts the ps5 version instead of the ps4 version which is like why wouldn't it just know that it's on a ps5 and then play the ps5 version why would it download the ps4 version in the first place weird that like 
what is what is it called on the xbox smart delivery i think it's called like yeah it's weird that that like is actually the thing that matters and is like actually really important and it's just like seamless and kind of an apple like it just works kind of scenario i didn't expect in a million years i would need to actively select to play the ps5 version of a game um <laughs> but here we right. are and i think like the ghost of tsushima thing is a little bit confusing too where like it is a ps4 game but has like ps5 improvements if you're playing on ps5 it's very strange um but all that said there are a couple things here and there in the, in the ui and in the just like the overall i would say user experience also side of things um that make it feel like a new thing i i think they go a little bit overboard at times with like changing things just to change things just so it feels different um yeah. but little tweaks here and there like they don't have themes as far as i can tell like the ps4 had a, a whole bunch of themes that you could download oh, yeah. and, like change you know the vibe of your ps4 and i i could see something like that showing up for the ps5 but what happens right now is anytime you hover over a game that you have it'll change the theme of the ps5 to whatever game that is oh that's um, cool just while you're hovering over it so like i hovered over persona 5 royal and it like made the whole screen red and yeah it had like awesome jazz music playing yeah. like it's really cool you you hover over demon souls and it gets like very somber and, and kind of like a, a weird vibe to it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, in my head I saw like hovering over Persona 5 and it's like, you know, dancing like and then you go to Demon Souls and it's just like, ah, ah, ah. It's like It is essentially crying. that much of like a night and day scenario. Yeah. Um, I, I like that stuff. I think it's really good. Um, like yesterday you and I were playing Ghost of Tsushima um, and the party, the way the party system works on PS5 is totally different from PS4, where you can create a party, uh, but you can also create a voice chat separate from party. And it's really seamless and really easy. And you don't have to like hop into any menus to be able to do it. So like you invited me into a party chat yesterday and I just like pressed a button and I was in it and I didn't have to do anything else. It just happened yeah. all in the background without and like, your uh, your controller acted as a microphone, which. Yeah, this is the next thing I was going to bring up was that I don't need on the PS4. I had the PlayStation 4 camera, uh, which is what I was using like to uh, talk to people in parties and and when i was streaming that's what i would use as my streaming mic before i started plugging the yeti in and stuff like that you don't need that on the ps5 because the DualSense controller has a microphone built into it and and is like surprisingly good it's like a surprisingly good microphone if you don't have headphones to plug in you can also just like your voice would just come out of the controller's microphone or out of the controller's speaker also so like you don't really need any extra peripherals at all to like have a party chat with somebody it all just like out of the box will work i was plugging headphones in because it just like would make the game sound better and would make the chat easier but it's cool to know that you don't need any of that stuff and i think like those are the things where it feels like sony really innovated and like took some steps forward um there's some more interesting stuff like uh patrick klepek over at waypoint wrote a really great article about the way there's there's a thing called like the game base i think it's called or something like that whenever you're playing a game you can press the playstation button and hover over whatever game it is that you're playing uh it'll like have a little icon on the bottom um and if you hover over it it'll show you how close you are to completing certain objectives in different games so like if you're playing miles morales for example and that was the example that patrick used in his article but if you're playing miles morales you can say like all right i want to do this side quest or i want to do this side mission or like i want to find the next one of these things the game base will like have tiles for all those things and you can hover over them and just press x on it and then you can just have it take you directly to where that thing is so on one hand i i understand where people are coming from when they're like that sounds like you're just like skipping the fun part of the game like you're not swinging from you know 
point A to point B, which is like, I think the most exhilarating thing you can do in a video game is to do that in Spider-Man. But also, if you're a person who only has 10 minutes to play and you hover over that game card thing, that like objective card, and it's like, this will only take five minutes. It's like, sick, I can do this twice then. Or I can do two of these. Because it literally tells you how long it'll take you specifically because it knows how long it takes you to do certain things. It knows how long you will take to do this specific mission. And you're like, I only have 10 minutes. This thing will take five. Great. I could knock that out and then like still have enough time to go do other stuff. That's really cool. I don't know how much that stuff is going to get used. It's kind of like the dual sense uh, thing where like all of the haptics and stuff. Like, I don't know if that stuff is going to get used a lot in video games. I could see yeah. a lot of developers ignoring that or a second thing that I'll get to later. But I could see a lot of developers ignoring that the same way they will ignore this like game base stuff and, and these like objective cards. Um, for example, in Demon Souls, like they have the objective cards but they're not going to teleport you to where the stuff goes obviously because it's fucking demon souls and they hate you um but <laughs> they will say like hey it's probably going to take you three hours to beat this boss because you're so fucking bad at this game uh <laughs> normally it would take people like 30 to 45 minutes so like they are kind of uh implementing it in in, in ways here and there i do want to like also just reiterate the dual sense controller is amazing it is it, it's come out since last time we recorded that um the haptics and the like rumble the like smart rumble or whatever it is is by the same company that put hd rumble in the switch so it really is just like three years of iterative technology of hd rumble now is just inside the dual sense controller and it really feels like it i mean it is unbelievable um i i can't believe honestly how good it feels to use the dual sense controller at times um as i talked about a little bit last week with astro's playroom and like if you listen if you're a person who listens to video game podcasts like you've heard this on a billion other ones but you can like feel the difference in the texture that astrobot is walking on like it is really like that granular where like if you're walking on sand you can feel it if you're walking on metal you can feel it and you can hear it because it's coming out of the controller as well and there are a couple things in astrobot that i think are just like huge like hey you're gonna feel this in in another game down the line kind of experiences like there's a point where you get a bow and arrow in astrobot and like as you as you're pulling down the trigger a cool thing about the xbox elite controller is you can like manually set how how much resistance there is in the trigger so like is it do you have to press all the way down do you have to press halfway down do you just press it like every other other button like is it really shallow when when you have to pull down on a trigger the ps5 dualsense controller can set those automatically by itself and will change how much resistance is in the triggers depending on what is happening um so when you pick up a bow in astrobot's playroom you have to like literally pull back and like knock the arrow um so you have to like pull it past a certain point and then it kind of like releases and then you're you know pulled back all the way before you let go it feels so cool and and is way more than just like the kind of like gimmicky shit I was really expecting it to be. But that is just a clear indication of what Horizon Forbidden West is going to feel like. You know, like oh, that, yeah, is, that totally. is very much just like, hey, we're just showing you what this cool first party PlayStation game is going to feel like later. Yeah. And, and that happens over and over and over again in Ash's Playroom. But yeah, I, I, th- I think there are certain things here and there in the dual sense that like if developers start to actually use them will be awesome. Um, I don't have any third-party games that I'm playing currently on the PS5. Like, I'm really curious if Assassin's Creed Valhalla has any of that stuff in there on the PS5. I would guess not. But here's my second thought, is that if developers start to use this stuff and it actually does start to make a big difference, I could see that being the impetus for 
for Microsoft being like, okay, we have to update the controller then, you know, because like right now going from the Xbox one to the to the series, whatever, the controller is pretty much the same, except it has that like new round D pad thing that that Microsoft is is kind of like digging into um, and has a capture button on it. So you can take screenshots easier. And that's like pretty much the only thing that you're getting if you are are getting a, a Series S controller or a Series X controller versus the Xbox one. I could see a situation in which like in a year, or two years if a lot of developers are using the DualSense stuff to like its full capacity Microsoft is like we have to release a new controller which would be cool if that was just an option that you could just like buy that controller and use it but you didn't need to like cool awesome great yeah um, totally. but but for now I, I'm just really curious to see how much it gets used I mean that's just like what everybody's saying about it but I, it's I have become a believer in it in a way that I wasn't expecting um, <laughs> and, and overall I will say that the PS5 does feel more like a new thing than the Series S does um, yeah. although I find myself playing the Series S way more than the PS5 currently I, I really think that the PS5 like out of the box will feel more like a new thing and that includes the fact that like it is new and it's broken in a lot of ways that need fixing yeah. And like the open question of is it a hardware problem or is it a software problem like hasn't been answered by Sony hasn't been acknowledged by Sony at all. So like everybody's PS5s might need to get returned and replaced with new ones if it's a hardware issue. And like we just don't know if that's the case yet. And I'm sure they're just waiting to like figure out if they can logistically even make that happen if it is a hardware issue. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I also think like I, I definitely get that the PS5 feels like, oh, okay, this is this is the beginning of a new generation more than the Series S does. But that's also because like there's literally nothing out that's new for the series or there's right. no like next gen game, the no launch title on either Xbox, which is like so funny to, to say out loud. It's like, yeah. whoa, they really. But I think that is also, as we've often discussed, is a testament to what they are confident with. Yeah. Which is like the system itself and also Game Pass as a thing. I mean, there's a Kotaku article that was like the best games on the Series S right now. And most of them are games that came out last year, but is also like this is the best way to play this game because it's actually running as intended. Yes. Uh, which is interesting. Like I just alluded to with um, Jedi Fallen Order earlier. Yeah. Like I played right. that game on the last gen systems and like it had a lot of issues and I haven't had any of those issues on the Series S so far. And yeah. it's on Game Pass. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I. I'm having an interesting time with next gen so far. I mean, I'm really into it. I feel like I'm playing more games than I ever have all at once simultaneously, which like is maybe bad in some capacity (laughs) because I'm not giving it like my full attention to anything really. Like as much as I would love to be way further in Yakuza than I am, I am taking a lot of time to play Miles and to play Astrobot and to play Demon Souls, which I'll talk about more after this. But um, it is just like, like kid with a new toy kind of scenario. Yeah. And I was going to say that's sort of, that's sort of like, uh, on par with the usual experience. I remember when I first yeah. got a Wii and I had, um, what did I have? I had Twilight Princess, obviously, Super Monkey Ball, Banana Blitz, and Marvel Ultimate Alliance. And like, yeah. kind of like constantly flipped between the three of those, um, which is bizarre because like clearly Twilight Princess is the better game of those three. <laughs> but like, I, I'm a Banana Blitz apologist. The single player of that game, really fun and like weirdly good soundtrack. Also, one of the best uses of motion control. There, I said it. Banana Blitz, one of the best Wii games. Um, multiplayer, wow. a nightmare. And that's probably why you bought it. And that's why you're disappointed. Did you um, have a uh, Red Steel for the Wii? I didn't. No, that was another launch title because it was like, you can use your katana with the yeah. Wii remote. Yeah, it was. I yeah. got Red Steel and I got Twilight Princess when the Wii came yeah. out. And I just remember everyone. I, I invited like 10 people to my house to see what the Wii was like because I got it like the day it launched. And I just remember as much as Twilight Princess was exciting to people, everyone wanted to play Red Steel. 
This is so funny. Because like, oh, who Sports. remembers Red Seal? <laughs> Wii Sports is also big, weirdly, which is yes. sort of like Astrobots of the Wii. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. The PS5 is interesting. I, I'm enjoying it more as I'm continuing to play it. I, I think like some of the features here and there that they've added are actually going to be helpful and interesting down the line. Uh, but really, like the star of the thing is the DualSense controller. Like it For really. PS5, yeah. Yeah, it really is, I, I think, exactly what they advertised and then some, which is hard to do, I think, from a technological standpoint to say like this is a huge leap in video games and like to actually have that be the case. Uh, yeah is, is difficult i'm excited to pick it up i think my plan right now is to get a ps5 like maybe around my birthday in april we yeah. were talking off the show like i have to get a new laptop as well so like, i'm not gonna spend like a thousand dollars in the same like year yeah. uh but we'll, we'll work it out but i'm excited to get my hands on it and i think it's I also like this. i had a dream last night uh in which <laughs> i ran a twitter account where i was trying to help people find ps5 pre-orders uh, and you were the first person that I helped get a PS5. Shucks. Yeah, yeah, I will eventually get one for sure. But I think I honestly think like the more you talk about it, the more it's probably worth waiting in a good way. Because it sounds like yeah. they're they're only going to improve upon like the, the problems that exist currently. Yeah. And honestly, like truly at the moment, there are really only two games worth getting a PS5 for. One of them is Miles, which you can get on PS4 anyway. I will say I've seen footage of Miles on PS4 versus PS5 and like, it is stunning on PS5 compared to PS4, yeah, like sure. really noticeable. But you can still play that game and enjoy the story and have a good time on the PS4. So like there's no yeah. reason to. The other one, which I actually want to talk about a little bit more, is Demon Souls, which like is the capital T next gen game right now. I mean, yeah, that yeah. that game looks stunning at all times is is just like a showcase of what the PS5 and like the next generation could be i i always look at at the like launch titles for next gen as like this is the worst games will look for this generation yeah, yeah. and if this is the worst games are gonna look on the ps5 you know or like if, th- if this is what people are achieving using like none of this hardware's capability i can't even imagine what the end of this generation is gonna look like because yeah Demon Souls to me is like, look, it, I'm not, I'm not about to go say it's like photo real or anything. Like we're still like firmly set in the uncanny valley, but, <laughs> uh, which is also where Demon Souls takes place. But I, I do find that like there maybe wasn't a better, there wasn't a better way to make like a really standout showstopper, uh, new generation like launch title than to just take a thing that people loved but couldn't play anymore and just like remaster it. Like, they didn't yeah. change really much of anything by way of this game mechanically. Blue Point Games, the, the team that worked on it, has, like, even come out and said they just really recreated exactly what the game was like mechanically and then just built nice graphics on top of it. They've changed, like, almost nothing outside of, like, a couple things in the UI just to make things less, like... And some of the designs of the enemies and stuff. That's right, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. yeah, aesthetically, a lot has changed. Mechanically, almost nothing has changed. So you have the skeleton of, of a game that is like revered and loved and just made it look better. And there are a lot of people talking about how like there are some changes that were made that are like maybe not great here and there. And they've kind of like changed the vibe of some areas unintentionally by, by you know, inferring things that weren't there because like 
the graphical fidelity of the original game just didn't allow them to say like, oh, let's just up-res these things. They needed to take artistic liberties to be able to take things and, and make them look as high fidelity as they are now. It, it, it's essentially like um, exactly what we talked about with the Final Fantasy VII remake, which is like, that game looks like how you imagined it when you were a kid, but they needed to take a lot of artistic liberties to make it look like that. And and there was a lot of like time and effort and care put into it on the Final Fantasy VII end, and on the Bluepoint end with Demon Souls, it seems like they took more liberties than maybe they should have in certain instances for uh, like hardcore fans. For yeah. me, someone who only beat the first boss of Demon Souls way back on the PS3 and never made it any further than that, <laughs> I'm having an incredible time with this game. And, yeah. I, and I do want to mention, like, right off the bat, as someone who has, like, made it to the end of Sekiro and Bloodborne and Demon Souls 1 and 2, not to, not to, like, I'm not trying to brag, I'm just trying to say, like, I'm a person who plays these games and enjoys yeah. them a lot. I have never been worse at a Souls game than I am <laughs> at, at Demon Souls. I am yeah. so fucking bad at this game. I have been stuck at the same spot that I was at on the PS3 for, like, a week until this very morning when I finally, like, broke through whatever barrier was happening mentally for me and physically uh, and, and have started to make, like, a ton of progress all of that said i mean do you have do you know a lot about demon souls do you know like how the game works very little i mean i i think i i have watched like a couple lore videos that have like mentioned it in passing okay because like obviously i for me like as evidenced by our show like the peak souls games for me are bloodborne and sekiro like forever tied in first yes i have gone on record saying i like sekiro the most or bloodborne the most and i literally can't choose They're... it depends on what your breakfast was yeah I, I <laughs> what did i eat that day <laughs> did i eat blood or not blood that's what i choose <laughs> which one i like better but yeah I, I have not played demon souls but i know like a little bit about the the gist of it um yeah this is the game that just for those unfamiliar this is the first of the souls games and demon souls came out like i feel like the the sort of mainstream appetite for a souls game really started to be noticeable and in the spotlight when Dark Souls 2 came out. And that's when Dark Souls 1 got popular. Because yes. Dark Souls 1 came out the same year as Skyrim, and I didn't really hear like a ton about it. It did well, but it was like definitely a sleeper hit. And then like once Dark Souls 2 came out, everyone was talking about Dark Souls 1. And, and Demon's Souls was sort of like the Pablo honey of this yeah, thing. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, that is almost exactly my trajectory as well. Dark right. Souls 2 came out. We were writing for a site at the time. Yeah. I was tasked with writing the preview uh, for, for Dark Souls 2, so I, I was playing that. That was my first experience with the Souls game. I then went back and played and loved Dark Souls 1, and I still had my PS3, so I was like, oh, let me go check out this like original thing, Demon Souls. And I played it, and I was like, there are so many quality, believe it or not, there are so many quality of life improvements that they made between Demon Souls and Dark Souls that it was really hard to go back and play Demon Souls. Oh, um, yeah. And a lot of it, I think, was just me not understanding what that game was doing that was different, not for better or for worse, but just the ways in which it was different. And that's kind of what I wanted to touch on with you, because I think this is what you're going to find really interesting about this game, is mechanically, it is completely unlike Dark Souls, uh, just in terms of like, I mean, it, it has the same like style of combat and like kind of the same uh, world exploration that you would expect. But the big difference is that instead of one seamless interconnected kind of Metroidvania-esque world that you're exploring in 3D with Demon Souls, uh, sorry, with Dark Souls, Demon Souls has this like kind of hub world. It's called the Nexus. Yeah. And there are a bunch of things called arch stones, which allow you to travel between different zones. Um, and people who have been playing Demon Souls for a really long time, they refer to these worlds as like one, 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 two, one, three, kind of like a kind of like Mario in, yeah. in a way. 
And when you're done with 1-1, when you've gone through 1-1, you fought the boss at the end of it, you can continue on to 1-2, uh, but you could also at any point go back to the Nexus and do 2-1 or 3-1 or 4-1 or 5-1. You could just go and explore any of those areas as much as you want, which was my big hang-up when I played it way back when. I, I didn't understand that that's how it worked, really, and I wasn't like content to put the time into like understanding that that's how it worked, and I wasn't doing enough research, which like if you're playing a Souls game, you got to do a lot of research in general. Yeah. I wasn't doing enough research to understand that that's how you're supposed to play it, so I was playing 1-1, and then I went on to 1-2, and I was like, this is too hard. There aren't enough bonfires for me to like stop at because there aren't any bonfires. It is literally you start at 1-1 and you have to make it all the way to the end to the boss and then beat the boss and then that's where the next bonfire is before you start 1-2. It is really difficult. You're unlocking shortcuts, you know, between the bonfire and the boss essentially in in a lot of instances, but 1-2 for example, which is Tower Knight, which was in a lot of the marketing materials, if I don't think I'm spoiling it. Also, it's an old game. But the the Tower Knight boss in 1-2, I mean, that really is like it's going to take you a full 15 to 20 minutes to go from the bonfire to tower night. And then you'll just get one shot and die and then have to start that whole process over again. And that is frustrating. And like, that's the thing that blue point games wasn't going to change or fix. That is just like what demon souls is and it's what it's doing differently. And that's, like one of its charms, I think, to a lot of the people who are like Demon Souls apologists or or just lovers of it <laughs> in general, I will say personally, I find that very frustrating. Yeah, but when I, I started to take what this game was doing different in stride and say, I don't need to do one, two. I don't have to go from the first boss straight to Tower Knight. I can go explore these other areas and see how far I can get in them was when the game really kind of like unfurled itself for me it was really that like aha moment that you have with every souls game when i made it you know halfway through 4-1 but got a sword that was amazing and then went back to 1-2 and like flew through it you know those are the instances in which this game is really 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 strong at a foundational level and that has nothing to do with what bluepoint did that has everything to do with what fromsoft did when they first made the game what bluepoint has done is just made it like a graphical showcase you know it has ray tracing in all the places that you would expect ray tracing and by that i mean you won't notice it because it's so good i find that ray tracing is one of those things where like if you can see a reflection in a puddle that's cool but don't fucking put puddles everywhere you know I think Miles Morales is really brilliant about it in that you can see the reflection of the entire city in the windows of every building that you're going by. That is a naturalistic way to include ray tracing. You know, Demon Souls is doing it very sparingly. And I think because of that, uh, it really like highlights what this thing is capable of. It is gorgeous at all times. I will say my favorite thing the Blue Point did, and a lot of people who play Souls games might find this to be uh, just a horrifying thing that I'm about to say, but you can uh, <laughs> hop into photo mode at any time and by going into photo mode it pauses the game so for the first time ever you can just pause a souls game which i find necessary i don't think that being unable to pause a game makes it better in any capacity i think that that sucks and i think having the ability to pause demon souls has made my life better my fight with with the martyr legarius wasn't uh intensified by me having to wear a diaper during it right (laughs) exactly yes (laughs) that's my back of the box quote um don't have to wear a diaper when playing demon souls 10 out of 10 that observation you had of like okay the the environment is actually way more open so when you are stuck you you actually have more options to explore yeah is really fascinating because it's almost the opposite with Sekiro and Bloodborne yes like 
Segro is actually very kind with how many the the bonfire equivalent are the 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 Buddhist idols mm-hmm. with the sculptures of Buddha, and pretty much almost every boss has one like right before you know. So like yeah. Lady Butterfly, right before the heart of the fight, the closer the the Buddha sculpture is basically. Yes, um, and there's plenty to explore about Sekiro as well. There, I mean, every game has like it's always worth going back to older areas and seeing new things. But like, and there are entire secret areas that you'll find eventually like there 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 is a lot of exploration happening sure. in these games but they definitely are more linear than this one is yeah i mean sekiro's big thing is like with actually the lady butterfly fight in particular is like that's in one area and then there's like the other part of the game too so like yeah. you have a choice there Bloodborne is is also like, you know, you'll have one or two options, you know, in terms of progression, like in the very and and I think but what those games do well is they teach you like they really like Bloodborne and Sekiro are very purposeful, especially in the beginning areas of like you learning the game and there's the skill check boss Mm -hmm. and there are multiple, you know. Lady Butterfly is the big one, uh, and and Father Gascoigne, who I beat in one try on stream, is the big one in Bloodborne. <laughs> but I think Dark Souls and and Demon Souls it sounds like even more. Even Dark Souls One, which is like a more streamlined version of Demon Souls, has that openness. Like you you go to the first area after uh, escaping the asylum, and you can go right or left. And if you go the wrong way, you're in an area full of ghosts that can't be hit. So you're like, okay, point taken. I'm going to go the other way. <laughs> yes. But like, there's a lot of moments like that. And there, there's a little bit like, I think the big skill check boss of Dark Souls 1 are the bell gargoyles. And even there, you can go in other directions to like, if you're stuck there, there's other areas you can do first. Yeah. It's almost, it reminds me of like a 3D version of Mega Man X where like Mega Man X lets you choose any, you know, you had that menu of like chill penguin or or you know whoever you want to go against and there are areas that are notably easier to do in the beginning and but finishing one will change the other areas and there's like there are orders in which you as a player are free to do and it sounds like demon souls is really like rolling into that philosophy yeah very much i i'm at the point now where i've made it like to the bosses of most of the worlds um and it's just a question of like which of them do i think that i can actually go fight and kill you know yeah um which is like kind of a cool place to be because a lot of my time has been spent just like exploring and checking out the other areas and just like seeing if i can find interesting items but like at the very least collecting souls and leveling up you know i i think grinding has never been more important in a souls game than it is in demon souls like not by it doesn't feel like it's a game that just allows you to like just be good and then succeed because of that i'm sure as with every souls game i'm sure there's a youtube video already of somebody beating the game not wearing any clothes and barehanded you know like (laughs) without leveling up once like i'm sure i'm sure that that exists already but i do find that this game is really 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 asking you to take your time kill a bunch of enemies go back to the nexus level up and then take on the thing that you're stuck on and and i have found that to actually be kind of freeing in a way because it it allows me to just kind of explore and get to know places better in a way that i find i don't in some of the other FromSoft games because i am just running from whatever the bonfire equivalent is to the boss wall uh and going through the fog wall and then fighting that thing and then moving on to the next place i have i have kind of like i don't know i i kind of have like a cartographer's brain now while i'm exploring these places um, in that like one, two, I could tell you the ins and outs of pretty much every single piece of that and like where every enemy is and exactly how I'm going to fight them in every instance and what weapons I have to have equipped at what times. And like, there are a lot of, 
I, didn't, I haven't even mentioned this side, but like there are a lot of things I think that this game kind of gets right that have since disappeared in that like different kinds of weapons, different kinds of swords will do different kinds of damage and some enemies will take more damage from certain kinds of swords than others. So like there's a bunch of skeletons in 4-1 that look a lot like the Terminator um, that are really <laughs> susceptible to blunt damage, which you're not going to do like if you're playing as the the uh, royal like I am, you're not going to do with the the like... Uh, pointy rapier or rapier how do you say that even uh i'm not sure i always said rapier but yeah now that you it's definitely french so it might not be that i don't know how Uh, you're supposed to say that either rapier but anyway yeah you're not gonna poke that thing uh and have it die that's just not how skeletons work so you have to have a you have to have a blunt (laughs) object um you can't fence a skeleton (laughs) you have to have a blunt object you have to do blunt damage and like the way you can do that really easily at the beginning of the game is to not have anything equipped and use your fists and then you can yeah. beat the shit like literally fisticuffs <laughs> with the skeleton and that's awesome but yeah. you could also like find a, you know a club or something like that from like a merchant and like go use a club and that's going to make that area even easier than it was before so like the game is really asking you to try everything and to use everything you have uh, at your disposal in the way that Sekiro eventually, I think, like really achieves. The thing that I always talked about with Sekiro that I think is so brilliant about that game is it's like the first time ever that I really was incentivized to use my consumable items and like my shinobi tools and like all oh, these yeah. extra items because they really did give you the leg up in battle and like weirdly to bring it back to Ghost of Tsushima, that's kind of the problem I have with Tsushima is like I don't really feel the need to use my like kunai or my smoke bombs or anything like oh, that. Oh man, I'm sorry Brendan, I disagree. I no, love using those. No, no, no. But, I know that you yeah. love using them, but I don't I am doing well enough not using them that I don't feel the need to in the way that I did with Sekiro. In Sekiro you have to I use understand. fire. Yeah. You have to right. throw firecrackers on the ground to stun some enemies, you know? And I think that Demon Souls actually weirdly got that right way back in 2009 with their uh with their weapon system in that like you need to constantly be switching between all the items that you're finding. You have to make sure that you have the right stuff equipped in your hot bar at in the right order at the right time. Um and a lot of that is experimentation. So like while I say at the beginning that that I am worse at this game than I am at every other Souls game, I really think it's just because I'm trying everything possible, and eventually it's all going to click like some beautiful mind scenario, uh, <laughs> and, and I'll find myself being the master of this world in the way that I was in all the other Souls games. I, I am loving Demon Souls. I think it's like really, really, really incredible. It's just like way harder than all of the other ones for me so far. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I think I think with with Bloodborne and Sekiro, which I would probably put in in a similar bracket compared to even Dark Souls, like those games kind of want you to play a very specific way. Yeah, even even in Sekiro, with like you know the firecrackers, which are really good against like bosses like the Guardian Ape or like animals that kind of frighten with yeah. that kind of stuff, or Lady Butterfly, where you throw a, a shuriken when she's midair and she falls, like you know, and it's rewarding. Like items will give you the leg up, but they really really want you to know how to use your sword the one sword you have the whole game right they want you to know how to block parry dash and jump 
you know, they want you to to, to really yeah. master the basic controls, which is put to the ultimate test with the final boss, who is maybe impossible. <laughs> and very and few items will like really help you in that, you know, yeah. notably. But yeah, I mean, I think I think Dark Souls and and its sequels also have the Demon Souls DNA, where like you can play those games in a number of different ways, and you'll be rewarded differently for that. You know, like in Bloodborne, you've got strength and skill weapons, but like you're always going to be like a you know person with a top hat and some kind of like stylish anime yeah. weapon um whereas in D- with dark souls i think i mentioned this before like the difference between a strength character and a and a skill character or like a magic character is so big yeah you know like a strength character is gonna have uh i think i <laughs> i just love like the big weapons that are just like you know a broken statue that you swing around you know yeah, stuff like that totally. so i think I think that it almost has more of like a very classic, almost D&D approach where the the DM has laid out this world and they're like, see what works rather than I want you to master this style of play. And both are good, but it's just cool to see both executed well. And I'll say like Demon's Souls really does feel like an interesting halfway point between those two. And like, yeah, on one hand, I could see that feeling less focused as like a player or as like a person who is looking at this through a critical lens. It feels like it might need to lean into one or the other. And as we know, through history, they have leaned into both to great effect into great execution but this game as like a blueprint for what the souls franchise became after this uh it's weirdly shocking to see how much they got right the first time you know yeah um it it does allow you to go in and like right now i have like kind of a magic focused character but that doesn't mean i can't equip a club and go and fight those skeletons you know if, if i need to at one point and like a lot of uh, the early hours of my game were spent going and fighting those skeletons with my starting sword and having a horrible time realizing eventually through trial and error that they take more damage uh, with blunt weapons and then trying to use my fists and then dying over and over and over again and then eventually going back to 1-1 uh, and finding a merchant I didn't realize was there which by the way the wildest thing about this game I would say like if you're a person who plays a lot of Souls games, everybody has motion capture mouths and they like just seeing a merchant say lines in a Souls game and have their mouth match the thing they're saying. Truly horrific. <laughs> really scary sight. Yeah, because they usually don't. They don't. It's a static yes. uh, face. Just uh, horrifying. When you yeah. find like like a really pale, like zombified merchant like hunched up in the corner in like a weird sewer surrounded by like dead dogs and he's like hello and his (laughs) mouth does the thing that the voice does really scary but anyway i went and found that merchant and he was selling a club that i went and bought and i was like oh shit now i can do even more blunt damage i could do like eight times the blunt damage i was doing with just my empty fist Uh, and i went back and i destroyed those skeletons and had a great time in that area yeah and and those are those are the moments i think that this game really shines or those like just why don't you like poke around a little bit more maybe you'll find something more interesting um, yeah and you are always rewarded for that in a way that i i think the souls games kind of like lean into not rewarding you later on because they like think it's funny to like pull the rug out from under you uh, yeah. un- until you've really earned something uh demon right. souls is rewarding you pretty frequently when you are that's pretty cool going out on a limb and exploring and like trying different stuff like that yeah 
That sounds awesome. I really, I'm excited. To, I'll definitely pick that up once I get a PS5 because I'm, I'm really curious yeah. as a fan you're, of that. I think you're going to love it. I think you're going to be, I think like me, you're going to be really frustrated at the beginning in a way that you weren't expecting. <laughs> um, yeah. But you'll probably grow to love it also. I mean, I think it's important that they kept it as is. Like if you're going to do a remake of that very esoteric kind of cult classic, no one yeah. wants that to be polished mechanically. You know, like they want. <laughs> yeah, they, they want kept the a raw... lot of like glitches and stuff. There are like a lot of like long term, like buggy things that happen in in the original PS3 Demon Souls that Blue Point kept in the game intentionally, uh, yeah. which is really cool. Like areas where you can like clip through fences and stuff to get like items way earlier than you're supposed to. Like that stuff does exist in the remake, which is cool to like have that attention to detail and like understanding of the fan community and not making all of those YouTube videos that have existed for six years completely moot, you know, like those <laughs> any any walkthrough you see on the internet about Demon Souls, whether it be from the PS3 version or the PS5 version will work on the PS5 version. Uh, but there awesome. are a couple things here and there they've added. Um, I don't know if you've seen this at all, but like Blue Point added a new door to the game and nobody oh, yeah, knew what was through that. it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it took fans like two straight weeks to figure out how to open the door and what was inside it, which was cool. Like that kind of stuff is awesome. Didn't uh, they also do that in Shadow of the Colossus? They, they did, added, yeah. Like, a secret, they just love adding secret doors. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a, that's it, fun. It's a great little like uh, developer note to, to add to every game that totally. they work on. I love that. Especially if, they're, if their whole vibe is like doing really masterful recreations i mean the shadow the shadow of the colossus ps4 game is like awesome it really is like kind of the same experience as ps2 just sort of glossed up yeah um but without losing the character of the game yeah um, there are some people who would disagree with that i i tend to not i think that the game i think it's a really great remaster of that game yeah i mean i think my my big point to prefer i mean they're both good i have both and i think they're both worth experiencing so you can make up your own mind about it but like there's nothing that the the ps4 one does that i like missed from the ps2 one, other than maybe like the weird green like <laughs> haze over everything yeah but yeah uh, they're they're good at what they do yes <laughs> <laughs> time for rolling <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i do think shadow of the colossus is like one of the earliest games that are kind of souls adjacent to weirdly enough mm. like in terms of just giving you like the littlest direction possible or at least in the boss fights you know i think like the the world itself is sort of so open and peaceful but the boss fights are like figure it out yeah i don't know figure it out baby <laughs> i don't know it's flying yeah. you gotta find out some way to jump up onto that thing this colossus looks through caves there's a bunch of caves hide in the cave and wait for his face <laughs> to show up then go around and climb up his mossy back and and the music will change and you can strike him with your sword <clears throat> this colossus has a big sword so wait till he swings the wait till he swings the big sword at the the ground and then you can climb up the sword and the music will change like, comment, subscribe for more <laughs> tips and tricks. I'm back every day with a new video here. YouTube.com slash HypeBeastGaming. Intothecast.online are all our links. Uh, oh, we're wrapping always. up, huh? Okay. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. Follow, follow, the, follow the vibe. Unless you had more to say about PS5. I don't want to... I was going to quickly mention that uh, I finished my Link's Awakening Let's Play on oh, yeah, yeah. Twitch and on YouTube, and you can go watch that whole thing. Uh, maybe I'll put the link in the show notes for that for that playlist. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention, and I said this a lot on the stream, and we don't have to talk, we don't have to do a whole segment about Link's Awakening, but I just will say about Link's Awakening, it is one of the best games on Nintendo Switch. Amazed 
that like I don't see more people saying that. I think like when it came out, there were some issues with it from a frame rate and like performance perspective. Those issues seem to have been patched. I played through the whole game. I didn't really notice anything that was even remotely close to like game breaking or problematic. Uh, and it is an amazing time. Speaking of great remakes, yeah, of I was, old I was games. Say, I'm really. Yeah. I, I want to use the magic of the show and will into existence a remake of the Oracle games because, like, in that style, I feel uh. like Link's Awakening and Oracle of Ages and Seasons are in the same. Like, they're like the weird ones, you know. Like, yeah. they're like the weird kind of like esoteric, goofy uh, Game Boy games. Yeah. I, I we did an episode recently about the Oracle games and I'm like obsessed. I would slowly love that. but surely finishing both. Um, that would be so cool. That would be my dream. If they remade those games and included the like third thing, yeah, uh, yeah, all as one package for the Switch, that'd be that'd amazing. be amazing. Yeah, because yeah, those games you could play ages or seasons first, and then you would like Mass Effect your save file into the next one. Mm-hmm. You could ride around a kangaroo. Amazing. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, again, thank you all for listening so much. Into the Castle Online is all our links to Twitch and YouTube and Instagram and all that. Um, like Brendan said, the YouTube uh, has the full Link's Awakening playthrough. And, and most of our Twitch streams will go there. So if you ever miss them, I know we've got a lot of, which is an amazing thing to say. I know we've got a lot of fans in different time zones. So like if we're ever streaming at a time that doesn't work for you or just doesn't work for your schedule in general, um, they'll always be backed up on the YouTube uh, for the most part. Can I blow your mind real quick? Yeah, go for it. We've posted almost 100 videos in the past six months. Wow. It's a lot of content. I can't believe it. It's so much. Yeah. We've been streaming a lot. Uh, I am streaming uh, Dragon Age Origins. I just started a new adventure. Uh, I rolled for... Because there's six different character backgrounds. Um, I think I've played through all of them except for one. And I rolled the dice to determine which I would choose. And it was the one I hadn't done. It's great. The, I'm so excited uh, about The Dwarf that. Noble. So I started that stream. I had some issues with my setup, but it, it went... It went pretty well and people had a good time it seems so i'll be continuing that that story that adventure i don't i don't know if i'm gonna do the whole game but i'd like to go as far as it feels fun to do yeah and yeah i mean just expect more streams in general i would love to stream uh ghost legends with you oh that's yeah. so much fun do that uh, hopefully we get some more people to play with us too. get a whole squad and yeah i mean uh a lot of stuff too on the horizon for the podcast directly uh this episode may come out shortly before our bonus episode this month which is all about 13 sentinels um we're aiming to release it around thanksgiving so it may come out like a couple days after this episode comes out uh, and if not it will come out soon after and i i will just say look i'm I always feel like skittish about recommending that people purchase things, but 13 Sentinels is very much on sale at the moment for their like digital Black Friday sale on the PlayStation Network. And hey, you're going to have a lot of time to binge that game during the holidays. (laughs) So it's it's super worth it. I also feel like the more time goes on, the less I see about that game and the more I feel compelled to like be like, get this. It's fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, If you want to hear us talk about it, uh, Yakisoba podcast is the episode where we're like, that seems like the definitive spoiler free take of ours on that game. Yeah. Of of ours, not in general, but like what we think and feel and and, uh, how we pitch that game. If you need more information. Information, but like if you're at all interested in like games exploring narrative uh, and you like sci-fi it's a sure thing 
Yeah, I'm and it's so excited to hear the first edit that AJ does for <laughs> the bonus because I feel like I was in a fugue state the whole time. We were I feel like dream. I was yeah. one of the 13 sandals <laughs> during that some, experience. Sometimes we do an episode that makes us feel like we're in the game. Like the other <laughs> the other one that comes to mind is the Last of Us one where we recorded for five hours straight. And I just felt like tired and sad <laughs> and kind of energy. Um, but uh, yeah, that that episode was like a weird, weird dream. <laughs> Like, AJ was editing it, and he was like, oh, I loved this bit. I'm like, I have no recollection of that. Like, I completely just left my brain the minute we stopped recording. I, yeah, I almost just spoiled. <laughs> so we we got to move on. <laughs> but speaking of bonus episodes, another big giant thanks to all our patrons. Um, we say this every week. If backing the Patreon puts you in any financial strain, please don't. But... The Patreon allows us to do more things. We, I've, I have since purchased um, a stand for my mic and a headset so I can have a nice mic when I'm streaming from the Xbox. Um, it lets us get equipment, lets us pay AJ, lets us do the bonus episodes. So it helps us grow, uh, but we will always be able to do the show. So if you have to pull your support, we've had a couple people reach out and apologize. Like literally no need to apologize. We get how, I mean, finances are always a thing. And especially right now, it, I know it's tight for some people. So like uh, whatever you have to do. Well, the irony is that we've seen a lot of new patrons. So thank you. Despite us saying, don't do it every week, we have gotten more support. Um, and no, if you are able to contribute, know that your money is 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 helping us get more stuff. It will probably help me get a PS5 down the line. Help me get my Xbox. So it's always being used for the show and not Monsanto stock. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, so you've got, uh, I know you're in the process right now of, of figuring out what your next morning stream is. I don't know if you want to speak on that at all. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I threw a poll up on Twitter um, between four games. I think it was uh, Jedi Fallen Order, Hollow Knight, Final Fantasy 12, and I don't even remember what the other one was, but it lost. Fable 2. Oh, it was Fable 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, sad. Fable 2. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it was a pretty even split between Final Fantasy 12 and Hollow Knight. Yeah. Hollow Knight like just beat out Final Fantasy 12. And that poll was done on Wednesday. So on Thursday and Friday, because I was done with Link's Awakening, I streamed Final Fantasy 12 on Thursday and Hollow Knight on Friday. And uh, I'm just going to wake up tomorrow and decide which one <laughs> is going to be the game. Uh, which will choices. be interesting. I think, honestly, if I had to guess, I think it's going to be Hollow Knight. Final Fantasy 12. I love and will probably end up streaming more of anyway at some point. Um, sure. But I just don't think it's going to be the morning streams because that game is going to be 100 hours and would literally take me <laughs> 100 weekdays of streaming to be able to finish because I stream for an hour every morning. Um, Hollow Knight seems yeah. a little bit more attainable. <laughs> That's uh, like If I want to do a complete Age. playthrough like I did with Link's Awakening. Yeah, with, with Dragon Age Origins, I think that game is like 40 hours. So it's doable, but I also don't want to like spread myself too thin if, if it becomes untenable. Yeah, I will uh, also so. say in, in terms of just like streaming strategy and like what I'm planning on doing, I will probably like whatever it is that I end up picking and starting to play, I will probably switch up. Like if there's other stuff that I like want to put more time into for the show or things like that. I just yeah, what I really wanted to do was just like have a general cadence of every weekday morning I'm streaming for an hour before I start the day and like part of that is selfish not selfish but you know part of that is selfish because i like am just using it to get up and get out of bed and like start my day and like make coffee and like have something to do to like wake myself up but the other half of that is like having a dedicated time to play a game that i'm interested in checking out in the mornings is like really valuable to me because uh as time goes on i have less and less time to play games uh especially for the show so yeah it's just helpful in that capacity as well so I'm, I'm totally. just excited to be doing them regardless. It's a thing I've always wanted to do, and I'm like stoked to be able to do them. So, hey, if you're joining those streams, thank you so much for watching them. I know they're early for some people and like at weird, awkward times for other people. So um, if you're watching them at all, that's really cool. Thank you so much. 
And if you found the show because of those streams in any capacity, thank you for listening. That's really cool too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we've been like you said we've we've had a hundred videos, so like <laughs> the show is growing outside, um, which is kind of interesting to see. Uh, but yeah, um, just thank you all for the support. I, I, Brendan and I have been in talks about like how big this year has been for us in particular. You know, we, we've always been really thankful for the amount of support we've had like from Go pretty much, but it feels like this year has been the biggest for us in both like the responses we've been getting and also what we've been trying to do with the show. We're always open for feedback and and always tell us like what you like 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 sometimes uh those who know me well know that I can sometimes be very harsh on myself. So whenever you enjoy something and you say like, Hey, that was cool. I'll probably do more of it. Not that I need that, but I think like, uh, any feedback you give us will help us like kind of be guided in the right direction. Totally. Yeah. I, yeah, I want to echo that. I mean, we always say like, Hey, if you have any feedback about the show, please let us know. That also includes positive feedback. If you like a thing, it's like if we're, yeah. if I'm, you know, five hours into a hollow night playthrough and you're like, this is great it'll probably make me want to keep doing that <laughs> yeah, uh, a little right. bit. Not that we need validation to continue doing things because in a lot of instances and like it's the whole impetus for the show, we just talk about the things that we like and the things that we're doing naturally anyway. Um, but from like a actual like content enjoyment standpoint, if you are a person who enjoys the content that we're making, uh, just like tell us and that's yeah, cool. It helps guide us in the direction of like what to invest time in outside of the show. Cause that's right. where we're most, that's where we're, we're trying to build a community too. I mean, that's the thing. Like yeah. we, we want, the the I, the impetus has always been like we want to create this like island separate from the rest of like the world of video games that like people feel like comfortable and safe and cool and happy in so like any feedback you give us will allow us to make that a thing that more people like and enjoy and want to be part of 24 7 dirge of cerberus stream don't played me. with the donkey conga bongos don't tempt me <laughs> uh-huh it's Dirge Tuesdays, baby. We're back. <laughs> Vincent Valentine fighting some bullshit. All right. Um, <laughs> I think that's it. That's probably good, right? Uh, neither of us are getting Age of Calamity. And uh, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet <laughs> at Brendan Bigley. Why end with that? I don't know. I'm Stephen, yeah. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Garbage dot online.